Now it's our turn to, uh, sorry for the words, but put our balls on the table. Remember, kids, this is not how you play hockey. It's just ugly. I like it. Where you guys? I'm doing this. You know what? I love ice cream, too. Go back to Canada, Gila Fleur. Game on! Yeah, game on! Hello and welcome into another episode of the Hockey Show, Season 4, Episode 2, we're calling this one. I'm your host, JJ Jerez, right here on Mile High Sports. With me today, usually we have Ryan Bolding of NHL.com, but he's taking a week off already. I think that the, the Stanley Cup playoffs got to him. He's still got a lingering injury, perhaps COVID-related, we don't know, but subbing in today. Arif Dean of Mile High Sports. Excited to have Arif. Of course, Arif and I are podcast partners right here on Mile High Sports' own Hockey Mountain High podcast. If you haven't seen it yet, be sure to check it out. But if you haven't seen it, you're blowing it. But Arif, what are you doing? Yeah. How are you doing on this Saturday morning? I know it's a little different feel to be in this setting. And uh, I know you're excited. You love the the rush of the radio setting. But how are yeah, you, you doing? Dang, nearly blew my ears off there in the beginning. You got a lot more energy on the radio. I'd I, you I want, have to. That's I what radio is all about. I want this JJ on the podcast. No, podcasts are more of a mellow setting. Let's hang out. Let's tr- dim the lights. Maybe light a candle. Play some soft jazz. That's, that's and let's talk some halves hockey. Do. That's what we do. Exactly. But uh, yeah, let's bring that energy here right here on the hockey show. No matinee money today, of course, because there's no games to pick <laughs> from. They don't let you bet on preseason hockey. I've been losing my money on European soccer. But um, I guess the conversation we had last week on matinee money, Arif, was... Simply the Avalanche at a plus 380 to win the Stanley Cup again. Last year, they were a plus 700. Is that something you would dabble in the repeat? Or or does this team kind of, I don't know, maybe give you some some bad nerves on repeating? I mean, going into any season, the team that just won the Cup, barring any crazy unforeseen circumstances over the summer, is going to end up being the favorite. But I think the last time I checked, they were plus 380 and like next best was like plus 800 or plus 900 or something crazy like that. I mean, it just seems like there's no reason to rush to take the avalanche right now. The Leafs, the Leafs at plus 700 bingo. Is, is next. There, there we go. And, and that is reasonable. Like plus 380 is really high up there. And the reality is like, let the regular season start. Let the, you know, the lightning or the Leafs or not the lightning, but the Panthers or whoever that didn't make the final last year, start the season like eight and two. Uh, maybe the avalanche do what they did last year, start the season four five and one. And suddenly that plus 380 is like a plus 550 or plus 400 or 450. So it just kind of seems too early to dabble into that. I like the thought process, though, especially coming from the Avalanche, right? They tend to come out of the gate slow for the season. So why not give a week or two for those odds to adjust, maybe a little bit more in your favor and uh, yeah, take something once it spikes, right? Yeah. And I mean, if they win the first 20 games and they're 20 and 0 and the odds go down from plus 380 to plus 150, well, the reality is if they're 20 and 0, I'm now willing to put a lot more money. So I'll, I'll win the difference back. I like it. Patience. Patience in your betting strategy here. Love that. Um, Halftime, use it. Today is October 1st, Arif. That's crazy. The first of the month and the, the last first of the month without hockey, right? Yeah. October, everybody says, wake me up when October starts. Um, and here we are. So it's exciting. Let's get into around the NHL. Last week, we really were very avalanche training camp heavy. Um, now that things have kind of settled down and uh, we're kind of just waiting for this, this uh, opening night here. Let's let's look around the league. I want to talk about the off seasons to start. Yeah, well, hang tight. I'm going to put you on the spot. When does the regular season start? Eleven days from now. No, it starts on Friday. Well, for the Avalanche. Yeah. <laughs> well, it starts on Friday. The the rest of the NHL doesn't start till Tuesday, but the Sharks and the Predators kick off the Global Series in not Finland. I forget where they're playing. Uh, they're in Czech Republic this Friday at noon Mountain Time. We have regular season hockey. So six days away from NHL pre so, NHL season start. So technically, eleven from the Avalanche. Next Saturday, when you're doing this show with Ryan Bolding, we'll at have matinee noon money. Mountain time will be puck drop of that game. You'll have matinee money. Let's go, let's go. Bring in the good news, Arif. I love it. Um, but yeah, again, let's get into the, to the off season from the league. And one conversation I wanted to have coming into this is is the the difference in off season we saw from around the league as far as cap management, right? And you saw a lot of free agents signing some deals that you're like, Oh, that, that, that seems a bit high. But when you look in the crystal ball and you look down the line in the future, those deals are actually going to make a lot of sense and maybe even be bargains. So give me your two cents on 
how teams kind of had to manipulate and, and work around the current cap landscape and what that looks like for the NHL down the line. I, I, I For example, I want to talk about this Tim Stutzla signing, right? I think yeah. that's the one you can yeah, pinpoint yeah, 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 yeah. As, as the epitome of what this offseason looked like. So I was actually going to start there with the eight-year contracts. And, and while I'm talking, I'll pull up the tweet that shows how many players signed eight-year deals. And I, a lot of these players are going to fire their agents or, or be pissed off at their agents in a few years. Because if you're Robert Thomas and if you're, uh, who's the other guy from St. Louis? Jordan Cairo, if you're Tim Stutzla um, and you're signing an eight-year contract at just over $8 million, and in four years from now, the cap's going to be close to a hundred million and somebody of your caliber is going to be making 11 million. You're going to be looking around like, what the heck did I do this for? It's the same reason why it's silly that Connor McDavid signed an eight year deal when he did. He should have signed for four or five like Austin Matthews did, because if McDavid signed for five, he's a free agent right now. If McKinnon's getting 12, six, McDavid might be getting 13, five, 14. It's, you know, the reason why it was smart for Austin Matthews to only sign for five years, he's going to be up for free agency in 24 months from now, less than 24 months now. And uh, his 11.3 that he did not lock in or 11.6 that he did not lock in for eight years, he locked in for five is now going to jump to 13, 14, 15 when the cap raises. So I think for the players that signed those eight year deals, most of them, I should say, I'm not really sure why they decided to go that route. The one that does kind of stick out to me as a fair signing for the player, not for the team itself, but is is Valeri Nichushkin. Because how much more effective can he get than a six point one two five for a guy that wanted to stay in Denver? The reality is, if he went to free agency, he could have probably gotten the Kadri deal seven by seven or whatever, uh, which is the same forty nine million he got from the Avalanche over eight years. But I think from a team standpoint, it was smart for these teams that gave out these eight year deals. Tampa Bay gave out three of them to Chernak and and Sorelli and. Um, there's always one that I'm missing, Sergeyev. Uh, but from a player standpoint, I, I I don't know why they decided to do that. Yeah, I mean, it feels it's again, it's a similar to your betting strategy, right? You're almost telling the players, hey, be patient with yourself. Don't jump the gun on an eight year deal. But it kind of seems like between the GMs, they're they're saying, hey, if we can lock up, yeah, it's a lot like the stock market. If we can lock up Apple prices today at X amount, what are they going to be in eight years? And and the GMs are kind of. I don't know, it feels like two steps ahead of the players and players agents when they're kind of working these deals just because they know what's coming and they're working well, it from a very business standpoint where the players are just saying, sure, lock me up. I want the comfort without thinking what 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 things are going to hold down the line. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like NHL players tend to just have that sense of like, well, you know, it's still $65 million. And it's like, yes, I understand that. But if you want to maximize your value, you're going about it the wrong way. And I understand there's injury risk. There's injury risk in every sport. And I understand it's not like the NBA. But you know what? Players in the NBA get injured and are out for years as well. It's the same reason why, you know, LeBron James has signed one or two-year deals with a third-year option or a second-year option pretty much his entire career because he knows, you know, if he locked in a $30 million contract a decade ago or seven years ago, and now you have the Steph Curry's of the world making 55. What are you doing? Like he's almost losing half of his annual salary because of that, which is why he didn't. And, and this is the tweet that I was looking for. Jordan Cairo, Tim Stutzla, Jonathan Huberdo, Matthew Kachuk, Josh Norris, Mikhail Sergachev, Anthony Sorelli, Eric Chernak, Robert Thomas, Valeri Nichushkin, Philip Horsberg. Every single one of them signed an eight-year deal. And for most of those names, I don't understand why. And when Kale McCarr signed his deal, also eight years. Six. 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 Gabe Landeskog's. Landeskog got the full eight years. Landeskog's a different story because that's a 28-year-old. I'm talking to that younger ilk. No, uh, I get you. I'm just... I'm just The lower 20s, yeah. But he also signed eight. And Nathan McKinnon. Nathan McKinnon just signed eight as well. Again, Nathan McKinnon's a guy that... What is he? He was born in 95. So in September, he just turned 27. Yes, he just turned 27. If Nathan... If, if, if Nazem Kadri had his best season at 31, what do you think Nathan McKinnon would be in four years from now? He'd still be a pretty dang good player. If you're Nathan McKinnon, I would have taken a $50 million contract over four years, 12.5 a year for four years. And at 31, go to the avalanche and be like, all right, I want 15. I want 16. Obviously, he, the avalanche would have negotiated a lot harder for that not to happen. And maybe that's what McKinnon wanted at first or his agents, I should say. But that's kind of the route you got to take. I mean, even when you look at the seven-year terms, Trocek, Kadri, and Goudreau all got seven years in UFAs, as UFAs, which is obviously the max term you can get as a UFA, which... For Kadri, makes total actually for all three of them, it makes total sense. Because Goudreau's, you know, creeping up on 30, got a lot of money. Kadri's already over 30, and Trocek 
got a ton of money and security from the Rangers and he's not of that echelon of player. Yeah, I'm with that. I mean, I, I like the way you're thinking about it. Very business-like standpoint, just like GMs I feel are taken. And you're right. I mean, hockey players probably don't have that same business thought process, right? Yeah. So they're just like, they're listening to their agents. They see high dollar amounts. They I don't think the- they're listening to their agents. I think their agents want to up, want to up the value and players are saying, let's just settle. That's that's kind of what I think. Like Matthew Kachuk, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but Matthew no. Kachuk and Huberto were traded for each other. Huberto was born in 1993. He's going to be 30 next year. He got an eight-year deal at $10.5 million a year. Sign that all day long. All day long, because your value is not going up. But Matthew Kachuk, who's 24 years old, why are you signing an eight-year deal at nine and a half? Right. That's silly. And I understand you live in Florida and there's no uh, income tax over there and blah, blah, blah. But you're 24. Sign a five-year deal when you're 28, 29. You can cash out at 14, 15 million a year. You're he's he's a unicorn of a player in this league, and I don't understand that one. Same thing with Josh Norris. Same thing with uh, Tim Stutzla. Like these are players that are on the right side of 25. That in you know at the age of 27, 28, which is around where McKinnon is now, could cash in and make a lot more money. Yeah, yeah, and who who knows what their teams look like in six, seven years, right? Suddenly, and that's the other thing. Yeah. Suddenly they might be playing stuck playing on a bad team. But that brings us to the conversation of Jason Robertson in Dallas. Still an unsigned contract and kind of seems like of the same the same caliber of players. Yeah. So why no deal there in Dallas yet? So Jason Robertson, when you look at all these other guys, I think he's a lot better than a lot of them. Like I would take Robertson before Cairo and Stutzla and Norris and Sorelli, Thomas, Nachushkin, Forsberg, like Jason Robertson's going to be a, like a, a star in this league for many, many years. Now, here's the thing about that guy. He's already a 40-goal scorer. He's had a heck of a couple seasons, especially this past season, just took off completely, led the team with Rope Hintz and Joe Pavelski. He's looking at all these contracts, and he's saying, you know, it kind of works in his favor now because if Josh Norris, who hasn't proved much, has had a decent season, and, and uh, Tim Stutzla, who hasn't proved much, had a good half a season, and these guys are already making 8.1, 8.2, 8.3, Jason Robertson, who maybe the Dallas Stars were trying to get in for around $8 million, is now saying, absolutely not. I'm an 8.5, or I'm, a, I'm an 8.5. I'm a $9 million contract if you're going to give me a long-term deal. I think he's going to end up settling for a bridge contract, but... It just looks like the Dallas Stars are kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because they don't have a lot of cap space. They're probably going to need to offload Anton Hudobin. And if they do that, they'll probably only be able to afford a bridge deal around the seven, seven and a half range. Definitely a fascinating summer when it comes to striking deals and signing contracts. And considering where the cap's going to be, it seems silly for all these eight eight year deals this year from the players' standpoint. Yeah. And I I, I don't really understand how Dallas is kind of letting this drag on too long because that's a team that needs Jason Robertson badly. I think Pete DeBoer had a comment the other day, the new coach for the stars. He said, uh, I wake up every morning dreaming of coaching Jason Robertson. He said that during training camp, he still hasn't had a chance to. Well, we'll see how that all plays out. We got more things to get to from around the NHL here in the next segment. We might be working on a guest, still no confirmation yet. We'll see how that shakes out. Um, but thanks for hanging out on the hockey show. We'll be right back through the break. JJ Jerez, Arif Dean, Danny Bailey behind the glass right here. Mile high sports. minutes past the big hour. Is that not right, Mr. Scream? <laughs> Great. Good stuff. I think people are getting really cranked. We're back. It's the first of the month. It's the best month of the year because it's hockey month. And of course, it's also the time those welfare checks come in for, for guys like Bone Thugs and Harmony. It's also a time where we got to pay our mortgages. I don't know how I feel about that anymore. Was that a good one? Was that good, guys? Is that a good imitation? We're going. There we go. Um, yeah, we're back talking all things NHL here in this segment as well. A couple more things we wanted to get to. And, and in this preseason, it feels like we're looking around the league. I mean, the Avalanche came into the preseason with a handful of injuries, and, and we're watching how those develop. But since the preseason has started, looking around the NHL, there's a good amount of injuries going on. Uh, I mean, with every team almost, it feels like. And a lot of big names falling early. So 
you kind of draw the comparison with the NFL shortening their preseason coming out into their regular season. And a lot of those teams looked like they needed more preseason. So I know we all hate the preseason. You and I were at the uh, preseason game against the wild the other day in ball arena, half asleep, (laughs) just doing our best to fight through that all three periods while the abs were kind of getting blown out. So of course, from the fans, from the media, there there's definitely a conversation that you're hearing about preseasons being too long. But then you look at the other side of the spectrum and you're seeing injuries. So I guess, where do you stand on, on that whole debate? Do, do preseasons kind of help you work through preparing your body to avoid more injuries? Do preseasons need to be shorter to avoid more injuries? So essentially what I'm asking here, do preseasons need to be shorter or longer? Which helps injuries more? Give me your theories. I don't know if I have... Okay, so I, I think for starters, every team should be playing five or six games. The Avalanche usually do six. They take three teams and they do a home and home with them. A lot of other teams play seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, sometimes preseason games, and it's kind of outrageous. But I don't know for sure if the preseason should be shortened or or if there should be more or less games in five or six, but there's that rule that the NHL has where you have to play eight veterans per game that kind of is confusing to me because... What we've seen from the Avalanche, they've played four preseason games so far. They have two left. We've yet to see Kale McCarr. We've yet to see Nathan McKinnon and Val Nachushkin and Devon Taves and uh, Eric Johnson. There's quite a few names that haven't played yet. Obviously, Sam Gerrard is a regular, but he got into games because he was injured in the playoffs. But because you have to have eight veterans every game, well, then, you know, the guys that you and I call the good troops, the the, the Coglianos and the Comfers and the O'Connors, they're like, hey, guys. Sorry, but we're going to need you. I don't think they hate it too much because a guy like JT Confer gets to play first line minutes. Yeah, but also at the same time, I'm sure he would much rather be like, hey, we just won a Stanley Cup 90 days ago. Can I have another week? And he'd rather not be shooting against fifth string goaltenders as he was in that Vegas game. Scoring from the tightest of tight angles and just not even giving a crap. Like it, it's, it's a very weird conversation to have, but like kind of the reason why this conversation started is because Jan Yannick of the Arizona, I was going to say Phoenix a decade later, Arizona Coyotes. The other day, he uh, literally lit up Trevor Zegras at open ice. And it was a clean hit. Every single thing about it was a clean hit. Trevor Zegras cut through center ice and got lit up. And Zegras got hurt. This is one of the NHL's top stars. Probably wasn't paying too much attention because it's preseason. He's got a spot locked up. And this Yan Yannick kid is trying to make it to the NHL. He's never played an NHL game. He's a, he's a highly touted prospect for the Coyotes, you know, to some extent, and is looking to break the opening night roster. It's the same reason why we've seen guys like Martin Kaut go out there and just play, 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 skate, skate, skate. I'm not going to expect Kaut to kind of take the foot off the pedal because it's preseason. But when he's going against whoever of the Minnesota Wild, Joel Erickson Eck, or whoever's one of their better players, that player needs to be on notice too. So it's a little bit of a strange conversation there because... You want these players to play hard. You want them to make it. But at the same time, do you want to lose a Trevor Zegras if you're Toronto who's lost John Tavares? And the other day they had like three defensemen injuries in the same game, Carl Dahlstrom and uh, uh, Jordy Bennett. I feel like I'm missing one more to the point where Callie Yarncroft had to play defense during a game. And then Rasmus Sandin said, screw it, I'm going to sign a contract. He was an RFA sitting there at home, kind of like Jason Robertson. Because of all these injuries happening at camp and, and, you know, the Avalanche, I'm assuming all these top stars are going to play maybe one of the preseason games. But I just think that the rule of eight veterans, especially the first three or four preseason games where you just want to see what you have in the young kids, let the young kids take over the game completely. There was no reason to have, and it would have just made it even more boring, I'm aware. But JT Comfort, Cogliano, and all these guys should not have been playing in that same game as as the Wagners and the Jacobs and, all, and, and the Tardifs and all those other guys that the Avalanche had. I just think there's a balance to be had because if I'm one of the athletes, if I'm Nathan McKinnon, if I'm Kale McCarr, I want to get a couple preseason games. So yeah. that way, once that opening night hits, I'm it doesn't feel like I'm trying to relearn how to play NHL hockey, right? For you sure. really want to get in the swing of things. But I think you said something there that might confuse a lot of other people and especially maybe some of our listeners that aren't full-blown hockey fans like us. And that's the fact that all NHL play, all NHL teams do not play the same amount of preseason games. It's yeah. kind of in the hands of the NHL teams. Yeah, unlike the regular season, which the NHL has a schedule maker that puts together the games, the preseason is similar to like college sports where 
you know, the guy at DU calls up the guy at CSU and goes, hey, uh, hockey, how about November 17th, Saturday, you Friday will host blah, blah, blah. Like you put together your own schedule. It's the same thing for the preseason, which is kind of the funny conversation you and I had on the podcast the other day when uh, Hockey Mountain High, be sure to check it out. All podcast providers. Bingo. Uh, when we had the conversation about how the Avalanche had a 2 p.m. game in Minnesota and a 7 p.m. game hosting Vegas in Denver uh, on the same day of a Sunday night football game, we're at Ball Arena playing uh, playing a preseason game. And my theory behind that is there was a loss in translation there. Like somebody forgot somebody, to check the NFL. Somebody schedule. miscommunicated and, and and accidentally like the Avalanche had like one person talking to Minnesota and booked a 2 p.m. game. They're like, oh guys, I got a 2 p.m. game on Sunday, and the other guy's like, I just scheduled a 7 p.m. against Vegas. So I guess we're gonna do a split squad. I believe it Sunday. was the last. Uh, that was the last Rockies home game too. Oh so yeah, it was so Rockies, that's why Broncos traffic was, and Avs. It was yeah, it was crazy. That, that's why traffic going was going up against Sunday Night Football, perhaps the the most watched television show in the land. Yeah, and and it's it's the Denver Broncos. It's Russell Wilson. It's Sunday Night Football. It's it's it was just a very strange kind of turn of events. But that's ultimately why it happens and why teams some some play more or less because. Some training camps, they invite 60, 70 players. Some invite 45, 50. The ones with 67 want more games because they want all these kids to get a game. So I get it, but it's also so much. Yeah, and then you have things happening like what Jack Eichel's doing, right? It's kind of, again, this is where the conversation all stems from is guys like Jack Eichel. He's kind of coming back from injury. Yeah, he played some games last year, but really he had a full offseason to prepare, full offseason of, of full health after his surgery, and now he's kind of ripping up the preseason. He's looking great. So I guess that's two conversations I want to have. You have guys like Jack Eichel coming out, getting ready for the season, getting his physical form to top notch. But at the same time, he's just skating around these clowns like they have no business being in the NHL. Well, I mean, I, I, I kind of like that. And that's ultimately the purpose behind the eight veteran rule is how good is Martin Cowd if he's going against a bunch of Minnesota Wild players that are not NHL regulars and then... You place him in the opening night lineup, and now he's suddenly facing NHL regulars. Granted, it's a bad Blackhawks team, and he's getting skated around. So it's that's another factor of this entire thing. It's like, where do you draw the line between knowing how good these kids are when, like, let Cow at least go up against the line. What was it the other day? It was Sam Steele, Tyson Jost, and Matthew Boldy, or Matt Boldy. You know, they're not ripping it up in the NHL. Boldy's going to be a star. Jost is a depth guy, and Sam Steele's a third, fourth liner. They're not ripping it up, but at least he's going up against NHL regulars. So it, it kind of like my opinion shifts back and forth because it's so right. hard to kind of gauge where to go with that. Exactly. It's had, it's It's got to be hard for the GMs, coaches, scouts to assess a preseason game when you have such a discrepancy in talent. But yeah. with that conversation and keeping Jack Eichel in mind, are you buying into the Jack Eichel hype? Do you think he's going to look like a different player this year or is it just going to be the same Jack Eichel hype we've seen his entire career? Look, Jack Eichel, his time with Buffalo has always been one of the better offensive stars in this NHL, and that's why he got a $10 million contract, again, for eight years. Why did he sign for eight years? Um, but the reality is he's always been about the points, and that two-way game hasn't been there. Well, who's his head coach now? Bruce Cassidy. And who did Bruce Cassidy just coach? Boston. And he's got the David Krejci's and the Patrice Bergeron's and all these guys that play such a strong— I'm glad I crushed you your quiz. Those. Look at Take that. that. All these guys that play strong two-way games, and if Jack Eichel wants to put up 85, 90 points and not play a two-way game and miss the playoffs, that's fine. But when you have Bruce Cassidy as your coach, he's going to make sure that he settles into that. So given the fact that Bruce Cassidy's coming in, given the fact that Jack Eichel's got a like this urgency to really, this chip on his shoulder to really show the NHL that he's not this nobody player especially given the way it unfolded with Buffalo. He finally gets traded to Vegas. They missed the playoffs for the first time in their history. This guy's got a lot of reasons why he wants to go out there and prove that he's a star. And who's going to be on his wing? More than likely, Mark Stone, one of the better two-way players in the NHL. So there's a lot of reasons why Jack Eichel's going to get reeled in to like, you're going to have to play a complete game and be the offensive star we know you can be. Feels like a lot of pressure building up in Vegas, right? I mean, they came out of the gate it's such a strange team. As a good team. So now I think that the fan base, maybe even upper management, expects that from them year in, year out. And now they, they've taken a step backwards as a team in the last couple of years. Their There's no asset, denying that. Their asset management has been terrible. And if they would have at least gotten a cup out of this, they can say we got a cup out of this. But they've never, they, they, they haven't. Like they blew it in the third round twice to friggin' Montreal and Dallas. Like you should have been in the cup final both of those years against Tampa Bay. 
So it's just really strange how that all unfolded. And then look at the other expansion team. Seattle was so bad last year. Then now their issue this offseason is they need to reignite the interest in the team that was there 12 months ago because they've been so irrelevant. Nobody wants to watch them. So Vegas was kind of like the 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 outlier, the unicorn in, in, in NHL expansion teams because they were so good their first year that that expectation was raised way high, which led to the coach or the GM and ultimately the ownership. Bill Foley's the one that's running the show over there, trading away all these assets and making all these crazy trades. And now Pacioretty's gone and now Fleury's gone. And it's just making all these things because he has that pressure of, I need to win now. Right. The standard stayed up here. Meanwhile, their their team quality slowly dropped, but yet they still have this very high bar. I'm not sure Vegas and, is going to be able to meet those expectations. And you're, you're already an expansion team where you don't have a prospect pool. You have five years worth of prospects. You've traded most of those prospects and you've traded a lot of the draft picks before you even picked them. So they literally have a bare prospect pool right now. And that's the opposite of Seattle. So I feel like there's got to be some excitement drumming yeah. around the Kraken with all the young guys, but it's, it's going to be a while till they even make an impact. Too. It's going to be Maddie Beneers and Shane Wright that really write the ship over there. No pun, all the pun intended, actually. So and, and Jonas Donskoy and Andre Burakovsky and Philip Grubauer. Philip too. Grubauer and yeah, half of the Avalanche will be there. The Avalanche pretty soon. spit outs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that'll do it for this portion of the show. We're halfway through, Eric. Knocking it out. Yeah, real Crushing. quick, before we get to the commercial break, if I'm Burakovsky, I'm walking around that locker room with my chest puffed at Grubauer and Donskoy. Like, at least I got a cup before I left. Yeah, I'd be wearing both of my rings around that <laughs> locker room if I'm Burakovsky. One on each hand. Ruby's uh, wearing one, and Donskoy is just in the corner twirling his thumb. Thanks for hanging out with us here on the Hockey Show. JJ Derez, Erev Dean, right here on My High Sports. You know, you could call us. Danny, remind us of the number. 303-831-1340. That's what I thought. I just Let's didn't want to get it wrong. Didn't want to get it wrong. Hey, we're here. Talk to us. Uh, but yeah, stick around. We got Avalanche to talk to next in the uh, third segment here. And then fourth, we'll be hitting the mixed bag skate. I got some rapid fire questions for you. I think we have a fun discussion. So yeah, stick through the break. We'll be right back. Mile High Sports. Thanks for hanging. It's the hockey show. Different feel today. Ryan Bolding taking a week off. He's getting gearing up for the season. So we got Lil Baby playing. Not something we normally play on this show. So we're, this while, doesn't while the mouse me. is away, the cheese will play. This doesn't strike no, me as Ryan Bolding type of song. No, yeah, usually it's it's uh, screaming. Um, what's the best way to describe it? I wouldn't even call it heavy metal. It's more of a, a punk heavy metal mashup is what, what Ryan's music of choice is. Well, shout out to Danny for kind of adjusting on the fly for... And playing, to the, playing to the crowd, right? I mean, yeah, it, we had I some Eminem really earlier. It's just great here. Exactly. We had some Bone Thugs. Then we had the so appropriate Wake Me Up When September Ends earlier, right? <laughs> and here we are in October and it's hockey month. And that means it's time to... Overanalyze and then overanalyze again the lineup, what Jared Bednar is thinking. And uh, you and I, have, being two credentialed Avalanche guys, we have the, the ends on it. So I want to break down the lineup and how it sits tonight. Of course, we're still waiting um, for Landis Cog's return to the lineup. And Darren Helm. And Darren Helm returned to the depth of the lineup. So looking at that depth, there's some names that I don't think we necessarily expected to be here if you had asked us three months ago. So right now, the Avs, who are wrapping up their practice as we speak looking at that fourth line that they're using right now of Andrew Cogliano, Sedlak and Martin Kaut I guess what do you read into those guys especially considering the guys that are sitting as extras right now still trying to make the the team those fringe players in in Bleed, Maltev, Bowers and Magna so obviously look and I've been kind of harping at this all off season and, and Jared kind of confirmed it when I asked him after the, the Minnesota game the other day is Sedlak and Bleed, those are your NHL veterans. Obviously, Sedlak went to the KHL for a few years, but those are pretty much the thought process behind those two signings was like the replacement for Abe Kubel and Anton and uh, Nico Sturm. Those are the two guys that they were replacing. So you would expect that those are your 13th and 14th forward because, you know, the idea is Ben Myers is going to be a regular, which he's still skating on the third line. So no matter how 
you know, underwhelming, let's say, of a preseason and training camp he's had, he's still the guy that the Avalanche have penciled in playing with JT Comfort and Person X on the other wing. Uh, obviously, O'Connor with Helm and Cogliano has been the fourth line. So you would think the 13th and 14th forward in a healthy lineup where Landis Cog's in, where Rodriguez is on the third line, where Cogliano's playing with O'Connor and Helm, the extras are Bleed and Sedlak. Those are your 13th and 14th forward in no particular order. Well, what I find interesting is Martin Kaut skating on the fourth line ahead of Anton Bleed. Because that what that says to me is Kaut has overtaken Bleed as the 14th forward, which sounds like not much of an accomplishment, but it also is because two injuries is a very normal thing. Three injuries and suddenly he's on the third line. Four injuries, which, I mean, let's say how many times have the Avalanche had four forwards out at the same time? It happens pretty often. So it's kind of interesting to me that Martin Kaut has kind of jumped into that conversation Maltsev, I mean, Megna, we know isn't going to be in that conversation, but Maltsev, Bowers, and Kaut were all trying to jump into the fray of being one of the top 13, 14 forwards. It sounds to me like Kaut's there. It feels like the last 10 days, Martin Kaut has been the center of attention for Avalanche yeah. fans, right? I, I love September. I know it's October 1st, but I love September training camp conversations. It's all about Martin Kaut and uh, Alex Galchenyuk. And last year was like Artem Anisimov and Jack Johnson. All these names were like, by the time you get to March, you're like, it's kind of like when you think back to high school, you're like, did I really have to care about getting a 95% in high school and you look back and you're like, it didn't really matter. That's how you the got 95%? Whatever. I'm, I'm just saying like any specific number, like you look back at the preseason in like not even February in like December and you're like, remember the old like, conversations we were having back then? Good times. Like, like Johansson getting claimed on waivers. Who cares? Like and, none of that stuff matters anymore. And that's kind of where I was going to get at with, with Martin Cow. Yeah. He's, he's the, he's the darling right now around avalanche land. I guess I, I don't follow the other, avalanche outlet so i don't know what they're talking about but i assume it's also martin kaut because that's just that's just who we're asking bedner about we know what the other people are asking about and it's kaut well and we know what the team feels about him considering the last three seasons and his lack of opportunities and it really feels like okay yes they're giving him the chance he's doing well with it but if i think it's going to be on a short leash right i think jared bednar already has this his his mind kind of made up about martin kaut if martin kaut proves him wrong then fantastic. He's going to ride with him, but he's going to keep those opportunities short. And I don't see Martin Kaut, considering what we know about him from these last few years, maintaining this level of play consistently. You never know. He could have developed into the player that he finally, again, we talked about it the other day. He's what, 22? Where'd we talk about it? On the Hockey Mountain High podcast, your go-to Avalanche podcast. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, (laughs) Google, wherever you find podcasts, your favorite podcatcher. Now, here's the thing that I, I would do is I don't know what the deal is with Darren Helm. Obviously, I'm not at practice today because we're here. So we're not going to get a chance to ask Jared Bednar about him. And obviously, Gabe Landeskog is going to miss the beginning of the year. And you assume that Sedlak will be the direct, you know, the the 13th forward, the one that plays for the fact that Landeskog is going to miss time. Now, if Darren Helm misses time, which means Couch in the lineup, Myers is in the lineup, so on and so forth, I would almost switch O'Connor with Couch. Because you know what O'Connor can do on the third line, and you know he's good on the fourth line. And O'Connor and Cogliano have the uh, have the chemistry, and putting Sedlak in the middle instead of Helm is an easy switch. But let's see if Kaut has what it takes to provide any offense playing with Comfort and Myers. And you know Jared's not going to... It's kind of like with Sampo Ranta last year. I think he started on the third line and quickly went down to the fourth line because Jared's like, forget it, this guy's not cutting it. You almost want to see that what Kaut can do on the third line, because at least it's got a little bit more of a scoring pedigree than the fourth line, where you know O'Connor is going to be a fourth line regular when the team's healthy. Well, and what's what's the key component to your game you need to be a steady fourth liner? Effort. Yeah. And I don't think that's one of Kaut's strengths. He, he's been showing it the last few little while. I mean, a lot of the reasons why he's taken offensive zone penalties is because his effort is almost 140% where he's just like, go, 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 go. Dang it, I went too hard. Exactly. And I think that's what's not sustainable. That's why I think this short leash is, is going to happen. And that's why well, I think even Jared Bednar is completely expecting his game to eventually fall the, off. No, but well, until he does, he's going to keep giving him these opportunities. No, no, here's the thing. The thing with Cowd is if he's an NHL regular, it's not going to be as a fourth liner ever. If he's an NHL regular, it's got to be a middle six position. It's got to be a guy that's got some scoring punch to him that can put up 35 to 45 points at least. Do you realistically see him being able to hold a second line role? Maybe. I mean, some players develop late. Am I thinking it's going to happen on this specific team? 
Or that, this year even? This year on this team that's looking to repeat that's as deep as they are and as strong as they are? Probably not. It's the same reason why Sample Ranta quickly fell out of favor. You know, the Avalanche, if it was the Avalanche of 2016 or 17 or 18 where you have time to let these, put it this way. Remember the year when Alex Kerfoot was a rookie? 2017, 18 season and Tyson Jost was hindering his full full, first full season, so on and so forth. Those guys got a lot of opportunity and a lot of time to kind of work on their craft. Whereas if Kerfoot was a free agent now, like Myers might be better than Kerfoot was. Kerfoot put up 43 points in his rookie season. Myers might not get that number, not because Kerfoot's better, but because Myers isn't going to get the same kind of opportunity, opportunity because the Avalanche just don't have that patience right now. You're not ready for the NHL. You're going to play in the minors, which is why when you look at guys like Bowen Byram and Alex Newhook, especially Bowen Byram, who jumped in before Newhook in that 2021 season, the shortened season, and was a regular right away, the Avalanche are trying to win the cup. They got all these veterans and they said, forget it. We're going to trade Ian Cole and use Bowen Byram because he's that good. So they just don't have the time to, to let these players figure it out in the NHL which is why if Cal sticks in the lineup, it's because he deserves it. The fact that he's on the fourth line right now, Jared Bednar's got no time for games. The fact that Cal's on the fourth line right now says to me that he deserves to be there. Do you see the the short lease as I do? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. It's, it's the same thing with every player, but especially a player that's never been an NHL regular. If he, if he doesn't have what it takes, then we're going to turn to Anton Bleed right away. And as soon as Darren Helm's healthy, then he's going to be the one to sit. If Darren Helm gets healthy and somebody else sits, Sedlak or Myers or whoever, uh, that says that Couch's really, really going in, in Bedner's favor and doing the right things. The other guy I think we got to dive into that we haven't dove dove, dove into in the, on the podcast yet, I think is Arturi Lekkanen. I mean, with the injury circumstances, there's a big opportunity for him to play on that top line with Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen. We know Landis Cog's not going to be ready for the first game of the season. So this is a, a major chance for Lekkanen not only to continue what he built last year and keep building off of that, but maybe even set himself up for career highs in points this year. I mean, those are great players that he's playing with. McKinnon knows, I mean, if there's one thing he's really good at is it's finding opponents backdoor. And if there's one thing Arturi Lekin is really good at is putting himself backdoor in the quiet areas where people lose him and he buries easy backdoor tap-ins, right? So I, with that combination of those three, I expect big things out of Arturi Lekkanen but not quite to the point that when Gabe Landiscog returns, you keep that together. But he has an opportunity to really, I think, spark the beginning of his season. Well, when Gabe Landiscog returns, what did we see last year? Who Him playing way. second line. Yeah. Who did Nathan McKinnon play with the day the Avalanche won the Stanley Cup? Miko Rantanen. And who was the guy that scored the cup-winning goal that McKinnon assisted on? Arturi Lekkanen. And when Nathan McKinnon tied the game at 1-1, who assisted on his goal? Arturi Lekkanen. They both had a goal and assist. So... I don't necessarily think he's going to lose that top spine, top line spot right away. I still love the idea of Landeskog, Newhook, Nichushkin, because you got these two rough and tumble guys, these two animals in, in Nichushkin and, and Landeskog digging the puck out for this young rookie, or not rookie, but a young player in Newhook and really you know, bringing him up to speed. So the way that I see it is... And I, I think you were there the practice where I asked Jared Bednar about the fact that this team just does such a good job of finding those kind of guys. Because Andre Burakovsky, before he came to the Avalanche, had never put up 30, 40, 50, 60 points before. He did it here. Val Nichushkin, 34 was his career high until last year. Archery Lekkonen's never scored 20 goals. He's never scored 40 points. This is a guy that deserves to be a regular top six forward that's never gotten that opportunity that's finally going to get it for a full season with the Avalanche now. He's going to score. 25 points or 25 goals. He's going to score 50 plus points. He might hit 60. He might hit 70. Who knows what this guy's ceiling is? We've just never seen it before. So I think he's got a great opportunity here. He's going to be a top six regular 100%. The Avalanche's top five forwards are Gabe, Miko, and Nate, and Nachushkin and Lekkanen. And if Newhook can grow into that sixth role, you got a solid top six for the next four to five years. And we've got all season to experiment with different line combinations. Which you know will happen. I know they're both playing the left side right now, but I'd love to see a Lekkanen-Rodriguez line somehow. Maybe throw New Hook in the middle, throw Lekkanen on the right side. I don't know. I just feel Rodriguez with his ability to pass and find teammates. Yeah. And again, Lekkanen's ab ability to just bury the puck. I, I think those two could be unstoppable. But again, all yeah, season sure. to and see you different know, combos. And you know Rodriguez is going to take take a lot of shots as well. So all that takes is a simple switch of Nichushkin switching spots with Lekkanen. And, and you know that that's an option as well. McKinnon playing with Nichushkin and Rantanen. 
would also be a heck of a line. What I like about what Jared did last year in the late regular season stages heading into the into the playoffs is he's interchanged those four wingers of Lekkonen, Nichushkin, Rantanen, and Landeskog so much that any combination makes sense now. There's Nate, chemistry built up and down. Nate, Miko, and Gabe makes a ton of sense. Heck, Nate playing with Nichushkin and Lekkonen and letting Miko and Gabe play on the second line with Newhook also makes sense. And then you flip-flop a little here, Landeskog, Nichushkin with McKinnon, Landeskog, Lekkonen with McKinnon, Rantanen, Lekkonen with... Like, any one combination of those four top six wingers that are all locked up for multiple years now makes a ton of sense. Yeah, and and Rodriguez is the wild card. Who knows where he best slots in the lineup. But um, that'll do it for this portion, talking some Avs like we usually do. But um, we had to throw a little bit in there. We'll be back for the mixed bag skate and a little bit of rapid fire. Thanks for hanging out with us and uh, the hockey show. This is Mile High Sports, Arif Dean, JJ Jerez, Danny Bailey behind the glass. We'll be right back. play hockey and I fornicate because those are the two most fun things in cold weather. We're back. The hockey show. The final hockey show before the regular season as Arif brought to our attention. I didn't even know that. I'm just looking at the avalanche opening night. I got my hood up because Danny's been playing so much Eminem for us. I feel like it's only right, but now he's hitting us with some 2 chain, Little baby Eminem, 2 chain, Bone Thugs. What a night. Love having Ryan out of, out of here. No, I don't. No, I don't. I miss Ryan. Miss you, Ryan. Um, I guess, I don't know if these are going to be so much rapid fire questions as they are just simple questions and conversations, but we'll see how this plays out. As, you know, you're not even the usual guy. I think if it was Ryan, it'd probably come off more as a, a rapid fire, but you're very long-winded in anything you talk about, so it might not be so I rapid. I don't know what rapid fire means. So let's just go for moderately sped fire. I'm down. I'm game. Let's All do right. it. First question I want to ask you, we talked a little bit about Tim Stutzla at the top of the show. We know Ottawa was heavy at work this offseason and making themselves a better team. But considering where they had been the last few seasons, kind of the bottom of the league, even with Brady Kachuk and even with making some good improvements, even having some decent goaltending that turned out to be not so decent in Matt Murray, does Ottawa make that next step this season, a pretty big step for them as well, and make the playoffs? I'm gonna ask your I'm gonna answer your question with a question. Who comes out if they go in? Boston, Tampa, Toronto, and Florida. Who are they gonna pass? That's a, that's quite the hill to climb. Yeah, it's quite the hill to climb. And and the other thing to take into account is, look, Claude Giroux is a heck of an addition. And what they did at the end of last season and and the ability for them to go out and trade for Alex DeBrincat, a 40 goal scorer. And to have the kids take the steps that they took, I think uh, Tim Stutzla had 39 points in about 35 games to end the season, which is why he got that deal. All of that is why Claude Giroux was comfortable signing with the Ottawa Senators. That was not the case six months ago. Um, But the reality is their defense isn't very good. They have Thomas Shabbat and Artem Zub, and then they have like, Nick Holden and and uh, Nikita Zaitsev on a bad deal and Eric Brandstrom, who's kind of not really taken that next step in his career. And then they have the wild card in Jake Sanderson, who was drafted fifth overall just a few years ago. He was the pick they acquired in the Eric Carlson deal. Unless Jake Carl or unless Jake Sanderson comes out and has a Morvitz cider type of rookie season, their defense just doesn't have it. However, they're also in the conversation for Jacob Chikrin. So if they can get Chikrin, that changes a lot. If Chikrin's healthy and they bring him in, that changes a lot. Are they going to make the playoffs? I don't know the answer to that yet because in my opinion, if there's a team from that division that's going to take over and kick, you know, maybe the Bruins or someone else out, it's the Detroit Red Wings. They're built a little bit better than Ottawa right now. And yeah, the Bruins are probably the favorite for the team to drop out of that as, as and that's simply, look, they're, they're a good team and David Krejci's coming back, but Brad Marchand, Matt Grizzlick, and Charlie McAvoy are all missing months to start the season. The Ottawa Senators remind me a lot of last year's LA Kings. A lot of good additions, some good pieces there, and a lot of potential. But if you remember last year's Kings, it took them a really long time to get their season going. Yeah. They were even atrocious for a second there to start the season. Kind of got it together around December, snuck into the playoffs, and got bounced right away, but Kind of building they gave off Edmund, the year Yeah, before. they gave Edmonton a pretty good run as yeah. well. Now, the thing is with that is LA had John Quick standing on his head. 
Ottawa's got Anton Forsberg and they had Philip Gustafson until Cam Talbot lost his mind about the flurry deal in Minnesota. They swapped Gustafson for Talbot. Pretty one-sided trade there. Ottawa wins that trade. But if you don't, if you don't think Cam Talbot's out for revenge this year, you're crazy. That's one part, and also Cam Talbot gives you a lot more security than you know. Anton Forsberg is a good goalie, but you don't know what you're going to get completely. I mean, Talbot last year was 32, 12, and four, but he had a 9.11 save percentage. He wasn't really up there close to the 9.20s, but he had three shutouts. He's a good goalie. He's done it before. He's 35. He's a veteran, so like he's going to play a big part in this as well. Him and Forsberg, I should say, that tandem's going to play a big part in this. Sticking with a similar conversation, you already brought them up, the Florida Panthers, with their changes and movement this year, and considering they won the President's Trophy last year, have they made themselves a bigger threat this offseason? I don't think so. I Again, I, I don't understand adding Mackenzie Weger to that deal. That's a big one, man. Mackenzie Weger is a phenomenal defenseman. Calgary had a really good decor one of the best in the NHL, and Mackenzie Weger automatically is their top defenseman. He's their best defenseman. He was he was exceptional with Aaron Ekblad, and they just they got rid of him. I don't know why they add him to that deal. Like, solid work from Brett Living to get him. They also obviously traded Huberto for Kachuk, and then obviously they had Claude Giroux, which was a trade deadline acquisition. We knew that was going to be a rental. Um, they obviously have Mark Stahl and Eric Stahl on PTOs. Maybe one or two of them gets contracts. But the one guy that we're not talking about that they also last lost, which was signed by the Dallas Stars, this is one of those, oh yeah, I forgot about that guy players, is Mason Marchment. 18 goals, 29 assists, 47 points in only 54 games. So they lost him as well. Matthew Kachuk gives him a lot of power. And then they obviously have the coaching change. Paul Maurice is now their coach. Put that all together. They're not winning the President's Trophy. Maybe they're better built for the playoffs, but you can't say now because Kachuk has had a lot of playoff success. Uh, Paul Maurice has not had a lot of playoff success recently, so you don't really know what they're going to be. But if you look at them just from the initial look is they're not as good as they were last year, despite that trade for Kachuk. For me, it's goaltending. I don't think you can rely on their goaltending. That's the other thing. Sergei Bobrovsky had a heck of a season last year while Spencer Knight took a little bit of a sophomore slump dip. But Spencer Knight is going to be an exceptional goalie in this league. He just signed a three year deal for four and a half a year. Um, which I think is a little bit too high, by the way, but um, especially for how many games he's played. But not sold on him. I think I think Spencer. Look, here's one thing that I can confirm, and and this is courtesy of Mike Chambers, who did the digging on this. Shout out, Mike. Shout out, Mike. The hockey who, show's most frequent guest, by the we, way. We love that guy. Um, the Avalanche took Alex Newhook. Do you remember when they drafted him? It was, I believe, 16th overall. The Florida Panthers took Spencer Knight, 13th overall. Here is what Mike dug out, and it's just confirmed. If Spencer Knight was available at 16, the Avalanche were going to take him. They weren't going to take Newhook. That was their guy that they wanted. I have a lot of time for Spencer Knight. I think he's going to be a star in this league, and I think he's going to be a stud probably as early as this season because if there's one thing we know about Sergei Bobrovsky, his entire career, he has an amazing Vezina caliber season, then he falls off the rails. Then he's a Vezina trophy winner, then he falls down. Then he's a star, then he falls down. So if you follow that pattern... He's due for a bad season. It's just tough too. Like look, look at last year in the round that they got eliminated from the playoffs, right? Against Tampa Bay. You just can't compare Sergei yeah. Bobrovsky with well, Andre Vasquez. Let's not look at the rest of the teams. Just look at strictly goaltending. How much more solid is, or how much more of a question mark is Florida's goaltending than the, rest. the avalanche? Yeah. Then, no, than the avalanche with Georgiev and Francouz. I mean, Avalanche is definitely a bigger question mark. Yeah, so like a lot of teams that are stars. The Carolina Hurricanes, who are one of my favorites in the NHL this year, Antti Ranta and Freddie Anderson, who always gets injured before the playoffs, as he did last year, coincidentally here in Denver. There's another one. You're getting ahead of yourself here. That brings me to my third question. Most impactful goalie change of the season. Last couple seasons, we've seen a lot of goalie movement. Musical chairs with netminders. Who made the best move this year? There's a few of them that stick out to mind, and the, and the one at the top of the chain is is I'm debating between Darcy Kemper and Jack Campbell because Darcy Kemper is the better addition because Vitek Vanacek and, and Ilya Samsonov were just not cutting it, especially there's a lot of uh, uh, maturity issues with Samsonov, and that was the biggest thing with him, which Toronto is hoping to right that ship because... If Samsonov can get that maturity under control and if, if the Leafs can get that under control, he's going to be a star in this league. Um, 
But on the other side of things is how good is Washington going to be where the difference of adding Kemper actually matters. But with Jack Campbell, Miko Koskinen was just not that good of a goalie. And Mike Smith is a Vezinek goalie for 20 minutes and then the league's worst con goalie for 20 minutes and then a Vezinek. It's just he was so inconsistent that I think with the consistency of a Jack Campbell, minus the fact that he had a bad year with Toronto last year, with the consistency of Jack Campbell and the team they have in Connor McDavid, et cetera, et cetera, um, that one sticks out to me as well. I'm going to go with a hot take for my choice, and that's Matt Murray. I think he's going to have a rebound season. I know it's been a while since we've seen a good version of Matt Murray, but I think you put him on a little bit better team. It's just such a big question mark, though. It's a big one, but that's, my, that's why it's a hot take mark. and not a cold take or even a warm yeah. take. That one's hot, hot, the thing hot. Is, the thing is with the Maple Leafs is, again, who's their backup goalie this year? They switched both their goalies. Who's their backup? It's Ilya Samsonov. They signed him for one year, $1.8 He was an RFA that the Capitals didn't qualify. A former first-round first draft pick, and he's young. He's, he's not even 25 years old, I don't think. That player is supposed to be a top NHL goalie in this league. He was supposed to be to them what Semyon Varlamov was to them before they traded him to the Avalanche. He was supposed to be a good goalie. So on one hand, Matt Murray could be that hot take. On the other hand, if Matt Murray has a bad first month and Ilya Samsonov's lighting it up, that's the Maple Leaf starter. I think in today's NHL, the challenge isn't so much finding the best goalie, but finding the best fit for the team. Bingo. That is 100%. Because, and so I think changes of scenery can lead yes, anything. I, I completely agree with that because Matt Murray on a good team is going to be a lot different of a player. The fact that Georgiev is on the avalanche now, he's probably going to put up better numbers. How good? We will see. But... When you look at someone like Ilya Samsonov, I said he's not even 25 yet. He's literally 25. He was a first round, first round, 22nd overall in 2015. He's 52, 22, and 8 in his career with a 902 save percentage, so not that well. But his rookie season was strong, and he's kind of fallen since. And and these last two years with COVID, there was that time where him and I think Kuznetsov both got suspended by the team because they broke COVID protocol. They both ended up getting COVID. They ended up spreading it around the team. Like it was just a whole thing, just a maturity issue there with, with Samsonov. Last question to wrap up the show and a successful show it was. Thanks for hanging out with us today, Arif, and subbing in when we need you. But if you owned an NHL team, as we know, teams are including sponsors on their jerseys. What would your jersey sponsorship be? You got to choose. Whichever company is willing to give me the most amount of money with the logo that is the least annoying poppy. I love the Maple Leafs one. It just says milk in cursive writing. You barely can see it. Meanwhile, the 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 uh, Tria Health or whatever that the Minnesota Wild has is just like this blocky thing on their jersey. RBC for the Montreal Canadiens. Blue logo on their home jersey, which is red. You can notice it from a mile away. So After this offseason, if you're the Avalanche, I don't know how you don't shoot for Bud Light. <laughs> I kind of like the idea of ball. And I know we, we talked about this in the press box. Ball's already got their ice. They've already got the arena. They've already sponsored a lot of things. But the, the cursive writing of ball, just, yeah, the helmet as well. The cursive writing of ball just right there on the side of the jersey would just would just be great. Yeah, subtle, classy. Um, that'll do it for this week's episode of the show. As we said earlier, next week we will be talking actual regular season hockey. So exciting. And we'll have real matinee money for you. So thanks again, Eric, for stepping in. Thanks, everybody for listening, watching, however you consume this show. We appreciate you and we love you. For Ryan, Arif, JJ, and Danny Bailey right here at Mile High Sports, thanks for hanging out. We out you.